6.30 Chad Afternoons with Jalen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad. We know that two more uh, United Conservative members of the legislature say tougher restrictions to deal with the rise of COVID-19 cases are a step backward. That makes 17 politicians who signed an open letter yesterday decrying the measures. As you know, Premier Kenny brought back stricter rules on Tuesday, continue to, to try to control the spread of the more contagious variants. So what does this tell us, this dissent, this outspokenness by these members? What does it say about the party and, and possibly the challenges facing the Premier? We're joined this afternoon by Dr. Dwayne Bratt, political science professor at Mount Royal University. Uh, Dwayne, you've been following this very closely. Your initial thoughts on, on what you're seeing with these 17 dissenters. Yeah, it's it's not a surprise that there is dissent from the caucus. There has been dissent for, for months, uh, led by, by Drew Barnes and, and Angela Pitt. Uh, the Premier even acknowledged that Tuesday during his press conference mm-hmm. by saying, you know, there was going to be pushback from his own caucus. What was remarkable about yesterday, though, was just how many. Mm-hmm. Um, almost every rural... Uh, UCP MLA, who's not in cabinet, um, has uh, signed on to this to this letter, representing over 25% of the Conservative caucus. Uh, that's a remarkable amount of, of people, and it really shows the uh, the challenge. That, that, that premier has so a lot of things I want to get into with you about this tell us what it what you think this what this shows what this illustrates when it comes to kind of the, the real rural urban divide um, and the different beliefs about how things should be handled especially on the covid front in this province we've seen it uh, in the pa- over the past couple of years we're seeing it in polling data as well and it's a real challenge for the premier to try to balance especially when we know that a lot of that support for the party has come from the rural areas. So, a couple things here. We do know from from polling data that a majority of Albertans either support the existing Mm -hmm. restrictions or actually want tougher restrictions, and it's only a minority that believe that it's gone too far. The problem, though, is that... Uh, it is overrepresented based on ideological nature. The, the further right you are, the more you believe that the uh, the COVID has been overplayed and the restrictions have been overplayed, and it's based on urban-rural. So while it's a split, it's a split with the majority on one side, a minority on the other, but that minority is represented much stronger within the UCP caucus than the majority, and that's the challenge he's facing. So it is not remarkable that every one of these was a rural MLA. Um, Nobody from Calgary, for example, signed on to this. But here's another thing to to think about. So there's 17 of the MLAs that signed the letter. Outside of Premier Kenny and Health Minister Shandro, who in the government has been defending what the actions were on on Tuesday. Mm. They haven't condemned it, mm-hmm. but where has Taves been and Savage been and Nixon been and Maddow been, let alone backbenchers from, from Calgary, they've been silent on this. And that tells you 
just the the challenges within the own UCP caucus on these issues. Do you think that we'd be having this outspokenness? Do you think that we would have these uh, these MLAs signing this letter, putting their name to it, if the party was doing better in polls? No, no absolutely not. I think it's a combination of the pandemic, uh, but also the dropping popularity of the premier. Uh, if if the UCP was leading in the polls, these people would be silent. Hmm. And you, you have to ask yourself why in the pandemic the Kenny government has the lowest approval ratings of any province and why we're not seeing splits within the Saskatchewan party or in the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party or in the CAQ in Quebec, another conservative-leaning government. Why is it only in... Alberta. <laughs> it's interesting when you look back, especially over the past, let's say, decade, two decades, and uh, conservative parties in this province and about what has happened with them and the splintering of them and the way that they have, you know, you know, at times uh, imploded, rebuilt, come back. You know what I mean? Like, and you have touched on this in the past about the fact that that uh, conservative parties in this province have a have a tendency to eventually splinter. Yes. And this is this party's less than four years old. Yeah. But let's keep that in in that in mind. But I was talking about the fragility mm. of the United Conservative Party pre-pandemic. Yeah. Because a lot of those divisions were papered over by a desire to throw the NDP out. That's the thing that united them. But when you look at this open letter, these are writings that were largely held by the Wild Rose wing of the party in the 2015 election. And you're not seeing the progressive conservative uh, um, side of the party, um, their, their seats uh, coming out the same way. So you are seeing some of these, uh, some of these splinterings under, under stress, under extreme stress. Dwayne, it was interesting if you, you listened to the news conferences over the past a couple of days, and I know that you have been. Uh, Premier Kenny's uh, approach to um, uh, these MLAs is saying that, you know, they are welcome to to speak their mind, that they are elected to, you know, represent the concerns and uh, of, of the people in their communities. He's really tamping it down, but also said today in a news conference just a couple of hours ago saying, you know, we really should be looking to, to Britain and the, and, um, and and the, and and what happens there, and the fact that they have fifty or seventy members who are super vocal about COVID yep. restrictions, and just accept it and accept it as a part of politics, and it really should not be um, something that we're focusing on, that we shouldn't be paying that much attention to. That is a completely fair comment, and it, it's something. That, that I've said for a while, that when you look at other parliamentary systems, it's not unusual for government uh, uh, backbenchers to complain about the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is very unique in Canadian politics um, to have one or two, let alone 17. And do I think that we need more of these free speeches? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But can you have 25% of your caucus opposed to the most important issue facing the government, literally a life and death issue, you've got 17 of them saying we don't have confidence in the government. That is, that's not just 
a free speech issue. That that goes way beyond that. Then why don't they um, you sit as independents? Those are very good questions. Uh, <laughs> do they believe that they would that they have more clout uh, being so critical within the party than than walking away? That would obviously be the next step. Um, you know, in the in this, um, there had been discussion for months about why Drew Barnes, in particular, who has become sort of the leader yeah. of of the rebel group, why he was kept in caucus. And some of the suggestions were about free speech, but others were, well, if you kick Barnes out, how many more would follow? Mm. And I think you have the answer, <laughs> at least 17 of them at this, at this yeah. point. And if you're the UCP government, the, one of the biggest threats to your reelection in 2023 is a stronger party on the right. Um, and... Uh, if the 17 crossed the floor or even four or five crossed the floor and either sat as independents or formed their own party or joined the Wild Rose Independence Party, that really damages the, the UCP. Well, it was interesting. So I think the, the question to ask yeah. is Barnes, is Pitt, is Horner, is you know the, yeah. the rest of them, why they're, why they're still staying in the government or yeah. still staying in the UCP. It was interesting to hear from Paul Hinman uh, earlier today. He was sending out a tweet saying that sending a letter isn't enough. He says these MLAs need to fight for Alberta by sitting as independents until the province-wide lockdowns are removed and recall legislation is amended to hold MLAs accountable to the people who elected them, not the dictator, premier. I'm sure uh, Mr. Hinman would love to see some, some folks move over to his side. Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, and Paul has a history in this. You know, he was elected as an Alberta Alliance member back mm -hmm. in 2004. You know, helped to form the Wild Rose Party and is now back with the Wild Rose Independence uh, Party. Um, recall wouldn't work in this situation <laughs> because, as I just previously said, a majority of Albertans actually support the, the restrictions or believe that the restrictions should be stronger. So uh, recall would not uh, work in that in that situation. But yeah, he would love for them to to come over and join. Okay, so um, another question for you. One of those names uh, that uh, that jumped out at me on the list was was uh, the speaker, Nathan Cooper. So I've got a yeah. very good friend of mine who understands legislatures a lot better than I do. Okay, because and I asked him. I said, <laughs> "Have you seen a circumstance?" where the speaker has been so outspoken on on an issue yeah. like this in any jurisdiction. And he goes, no, no. He goes, there, you know, he, he listed some examples, uh, but nothing where you've got the speaker right, signing his name to a letter, criticizing the government in such an overt fashion. Nathan Cooper had uh, condemned some of the MLA travel. Yes. And, you know, that was approaching the line. Yeah. I think this has crossed the line. Because, and yeah, I think it's important that people know that there's impartiality of the chair. I mean, you know, the role, it says in the rules, in order to protect the impartiality of the office, the speaker abstains from all partisan political activity, does not participate in debate, votes only in the event of the equality of voices, normally referred to yep. as casting the vote of a chair. But my question is this then, Dwayne, when it comes to that, does that only matter when he is 
in that chair? I mean, if he is, like, how does well, he and that's what he, And that's what he's arguing. And the MLA, right? Yeah, he's, he's arguing that he's an MLA. But how do you... Uh, how do you divorce yourself? How do you split your your hat? Mm-hmm. Um, because he is representing that. And as I said, you know, this this friend of mine who who understands the role of speakers, who has worked very closely professionally with speakers, says he can't find another illustration of of this. Um, just to to come out publicly on the on the record condemning the government on its biggest issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting stuff. So, as you mentioned, next provincial election still what two years away. Um, yeah. You know, there, there's work to be done then, maybe to patch this up, or maybe when COVID is um, under control. And we, you know, the premier keeps saying, you know, this is, you know, we're we're months away as as more and more people get vaccinated and and all of that. Is that going to be enough to get that party back together? So. In 2023, the I believe that the pandemic will remain the number one issue. I'm not saying we'll still be in this position. Yeah. I, I hope that things have been relaxed by June, let alone the fall. Yeah. Um, but the memory of that is gonna is going to stick. And I would also add the other major challenge the government has is to look at everything outside of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. Um, whether it is school curriculum or coal mining uh, or pipelines or the carbon tax. There aren't a whole lot of wins there either. Yeah. Has there been a win for Jason Kenney? He won the election in 2019. (laughs) Uh, But since then, I mean, even the doctors, they reached a tentative agreement, but then the doctors didn't ratify the agreement. So it's it's been very tough. So, yes, he has adhered to some of his campaign promises, um, you know, recall, citizens' initiatives, even the school curriculum. But jobs, economy, pipelines are 0 for 3, and then the whole pandemic issue and now challenges within his own his own party it's going to be fascinating to watch over the coming months and certainly the next couple of years Dwayne always appreciate your time thanks for joining me okay we'll see you Jalen all right Dr. Dwayne Bratt joining us this afternoon and 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 you have to wonder you have to wonder what things would be like if if um, the provincial government wasn't having to deal with this massive massive issue that is the pandemic. Um, and again, you can't, you know, I, I can say, well, let's just put this aside, but we can't because obviously this has been uh, become the number one issue. Dwayne thinks it's going to continue on. But I think people are going to uh, remember things as well.